Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We're beginning a new series this morning, and it's kind of a unplugged series in that there won't be a intro video, there won't be uh, series graphics that we typically do to to give a little bit more of a, a polished kind of uh, appearance to a series. I just want to talk to you from my heart over the next few weeks, and I want to talk to you about something that is very dear to my heart, something to which I have dedicated almost half of my life, as have many of you, and that's Magnolia's First Baptist Church. Uh, The series is entitled M1 Vision, and we're going to look at the church. The church is not a social organization. It's not a religious provider of of religious goods and services to spiritual consumers. The church is the body of Christ. It is the body of, I love to hear that amen. I'm hoping many more of those are coming uh, during these messages. Uh, His body, made up of Christ followers like you and me, who are a part of the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ, who are called to a mission that both individually and collectively we are to carry out. And every church that has a mission statement, though they may word it slightly differently, all Bible-believing churches base their mission and their mission statements upon the Great Commission from Matthew 28, and we'll be looking at that in just a few moments. And so in this series, we're going to take our church's mission statement, and we're going to break it down one bite at a time. So let's look at the entire statement together. This is our mission statement as a church. Magnolia's First Baptist Church exists to engage every generation to become Christ followers. And this is not in my notes, but let me just throw this in. There are churches all over America that are on the verge of of dying and closing their doors because they're not engaging every generation. They're, They're just content to be who they are, and they'll hang on to, quote, their church until they die, and the church goes away. Friends, this is not our church. This is His church. And it is his heart to engage every generation. And that is our focus. And so as we begin to break down our mission statement together, we're going to begin today with the first two words, Magnolia's first. We're going to look at who we are. We're going to look at our past because I believe that will inform us to know who we are to become in our future. And I believe this statement that I've written for today's big idea, our church's past inspires us to face the future with vision and with faith. And we're going to do that together. So as we look back uh, to our church's past, I'm deeply indebted to our oldest living church member, Celeste Graves, who is 102 years young. 
Yeah, she deserves that. She is both our church historian and the historian for our community years ago. She wrote a book entitled Magnolia Memories. Some of you may have a copy. Uh, if not, I, I think you can still get it on Amazon. But it's a wonderful collection of historical facts, uh, not just about our church, but about our entire community. But unless you have read her book, you're not going to know some of the things that I'm going to share with you about our history. Uh, let me begin with this. Our church was founded in 1850, which makes it one of the oldest Texas Baptist churches. Our original name was Macedonia Baptist Church. And by the way, the oldest Baptist church in Texas is the, the Baptist church at Independence, Texas. It was founded in 1839. So that means we are only 11 years younger than the oldest Baptist church in Texas. Uh, interesting thing about Independence Baptist Church, their most familiar and well-known member during their early years was a man, you may have heard of him, his name was Sam Houston. He came to faith in Christ in that church as an adult. And he was baptized in the creek that the church used back in those days, uh, located not far from their building uh, for their baptisms. And the story is told that on the day he was baptized, when he came back up out of the creek, one of the members said to him, Sam, your sins were washed away today. And his reply was, well, I pity the poor fish downstream. <laughs> I, I, I love that line. By the way, I'll tell you this uh, fact, too, about his baptism day. I may not share it with the younger crowd, but as he was about to go down into the water, somebody said, Sam, you have your, your billfold in your pocket. Let me keep it for you while you're baptized. He said, no, I want my billfold to be baptized, too. I want all of me. And I say amen, amen to that. Well, in its early days, the church applied for membership in the Union Baptist Association. An association for Baptists is a group of local churches. And at that time, the nearest one was the, the association centered in Houston, the Union Baptist Association, still alive and well uh, today. That was in 1864 when they were accepted into membership with 20 members at that time. Our town experienced major change in 1901 when the railroad came through town. And among the changes it brought to the community was the relocation of our church to its present site, that is, the four acres on the western end of our campus. And the church changed its name at that time to Magnolia Baptist Church. And if you look at the cornerstone of that building on the western end of our campus, you'll see the name Magnolia Baptist Church. And let me just stop and, and tie us together with the present. Just as the railroad brought major changes at the beginning of the 20th century to our community and our church, the completion uh, past Magnolia of the 249 toll road is bringing major changes to our community now. And we are on the front end of an explosion in growth that will last two decades or more. 
we are in a place where the fields are white unto harvest. Well, back in those early days, the church held tent revivals. You ever heard of a tent revival? Yeah, I've been to a few of those in my days. It was common. They held them once or twice a year, usually in cooperation with the Methodist church. And uh, both in the tent revival meetings and in their every Sunday services, the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached. And people stepped across the line of faith, as we now refer to it, and were saved, became Christ followers, and they were baptized. They testified of their faith, much in the way that Sam Houston did, much in the way that people are still doing today in our church. And they were baptized in those days in a place called, let me get this right, Mule Hole Lot on Mill Creek. And by the way, if you go into our connection center, our coffee shop area behind the stage, you may have noticed there are some historical pictures on the walls back there. Michelle Eichler did that for us when we remodeled. And one of those pictures, and it would be on the southern wall, has a picture of the baptismal service in Mill Creek. It's very, very interesting. Well, in the year of its 100th anniversary, 1950, the church built its first brick sanctuary or worship center. And that building is still standing on the western end of our campus. It is where our Spanish language ministry uh, holds its services and ministry. And in this very hour, at this moment, The gospel is being preached in Spanish in that building on the western end of our campus. Amen. Well, the church continued to grow over the next two decades, and so in 1969, the church built a new sanctuary that we presently call our chapel. And uh, I remember so well, after I came in 1990 as your pastor, and we We grew during the 90s, and I remember in the the latter years of that decade, we were holding, some of you remember this, three Sunday morning services a week, and I preached back to back to back. I was much younger then, (laughs) and and that room was filled at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11, and those were exciting days, and we knew that we had to acquire more property and build a bigger worship center, which we did. Uh, The student ministry building, by the way, we call that the venue today, that was built in 1977 almost entirely by the members of our church. Uh, Mr. Satterwhite was one of those members that uh, was very much involved uh, in that building. My understanding is they built that entire building for $185,000, which wouldn't even begin to build it today. And that's where our students uh, are worshiping on Wednesday night and have their ministry in that, that building. In 2006, or two, I'm sorry, in 2001, this building was constructed. And then in 2006, our kids and adults discipleship building uh, was built. And over the years, we have expanded from the original four acres on the western end of the campus to now more than 25 acres uh, for our entire campus, including property across the street 
for which you gave and we paid cash for just a couple of years ago. Now, as we look back at the history of our church, we understand that the Lord did all those things. It was a work of God's grace. We all understand that. But that being said, there were some people over the years that sacrificed greatly for our church to be alive and strong. And I want to tell you just a few of those stories quickly. A hundred years ago in the 1920s, our church was struggling to stay alive. In those days, heat in the winter came from wood stoves that were difficult to keep operational and safe. In the heat of Texas summers, there was no air conditioning, the windows were open, and the, the local funeral home provided fans for people to use to try to keep cool. But even though it was as hot in the summers then as it is now, and there was no air conditioning, the people of God came to worship Him. And I admire that so much. Uh, I want to tell you about some of the pastors that our church has had through its history. Reverend M.F. Kelly, who, by the way, was the father of Kenneth Kelly, who was the pastor of this church for the 18 years prior to my coming in 1990. And I love Brother Kelly. He was a sweet, gentle man of God, deeply spiritual, and uh, we, miss, we miss him. Uh, he and his wife are in heaven now. But his dad, M.F. Kelly, came to be the pastor of this church in 1928, and he served right up until the edge of the Great Depression in 1929, and he resigned. And in the years following that, the church struggled. The church fell into disrepair. And when I say it fell into disrepair, I mean that there were doors hanging off the hinges. There were windows that were broken out. Farm animals would wander through the buildings during the week. And for many months, the church was unable to have services. And so, in 1932, the remaining members of the church went to Reverend Kelly and asked him to return as their pastor. And of course, our nation was in the midst of the Great Depression in those days. And he agreed to come back as pastor. And when he did, the church made a commitment to Pastor Kelly, but more than that, to the Lord, that they would support the church even though they were in the midst of the depression and all that that meant. They committed that they would support the church and the work of the Lord through the local church by the biblical practice of tithing. And they did so. And in that year, the church adopted its very first annual budget of $462. The Depression continued. And in 1933, Pastor Kelly went to the leaders of the church and requested that they reduce his salary from $25 a month to $15 a month to help the church become financially stable. He made that sacrifice, and it inspired the church. And sacrificially, they gave, and the church was able to stay alive. And he continued to pastor here until 1935. Reverend M.A. Darby 
pastored our church from 1943 to 1945. His full-time salary was $75 a month. He preached each Sunday. He led the church. He shepherded God's people. And what is so amazing about that to me is that he did all of that despite the fact that he was blind. H.A. Lee pastored our church in 1948 for a monthly salary of $150. What's amazing about his pastoral tenure is that he preached five times every Sunday. He preached a morning service and an evening service at Aletheia Baptist Church, which was near Grogan's Sawmill, which was the major industry of the town at that time. He preached a morning service and evening service at Magnolia Baptist Church, our church, each Sunday. And then he also preached an afternoon service at Dacus Baptist Church between here and Conroe, five times a Sunday. It made my preaching three times a Sunday back in those years. It seemed like a piece of cake. Five times a Sunday. What a faithful servant of the Lord. And there are other stories that I could tell you. But here's my point in sharing those with you. Don't miss this. We stand on the shoulders of those who have sacrificed greatly for Christ to keep our church alive and strong for Him. We stand on their shoulders, and not just those in the 171-year history of our church. We also stand on the shoulders of those who have been faithful to the body of Christ throughout the world, through the generations and through the centuries, all the way back to the first century when the Apostle Paul began to plant those first early churches. I want to take you back and revisit the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. I'm going to begin the narrative with verse 21, Acts 14, 21. After preaching the good news in Derbe and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they encouraged the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul was not talking about inconvenience or dealing with change. He was talking about many hardships. There were those in that day who were driven from their homes, from their livelihoods, from their families, just because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And in those days and today, Christ followers need encouragement in their faith through the church. They did in the first century. They still do in the 21st century. Go with me back to the narrative, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. The reality was Paul and Barnabas couldn't stay in every place they planted a church. 
They were human beings. They were not omnipresent like the Lord. And so they had to appoint pastors and other leaders in each of these churches who would, who would take the reins of the work and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit lead those churches on their mission to reach others to become followers of Jesus Christ. And those early church leaders in the first century, along with the people of God in the, the early churches, they work together. And it's still true today. A healthy church must have trust in its leadership to fulfill the mission that God has given it. Can I let you in on a little secret? Pastors are not perfect. I know that's a shock. I understand. <laughs> pastors are not perfect. Our associate pastors are not perfect. Our deacons are not perfect. Our Sunday school leaders are not perfect. The leaders of your church are not perfect. But here's what I believe with all my heart. We together want to do God's will. We want to honor the Lord. We want to lead our church forward in its mission and not let it become one of those churches that become inwardly focused and spiritually wither up and die. And so we must have our focus on the mission that God has given us, loving God's people and seeking to comfort and encourage them to be sure, but always having our focus on what God has called us to do. And just as the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went around planting churches, we too are involved in planting other churches in partnership with our North American Mission Board, we are collectively as Southern Baptist planting churches all over North America. But as a church, we're involved, as you know, in helping plant a church in Cuesta, New Mexico, where Pastor Jesse and the Hardy family and young Logan Broussard are there trying to, to start from scratch, finding a place, meeting people, witnessing for Christ, and we need to pray for them as they are working for the kingdom of God in that place. Planting churches, it was so vital in the first century, it's still vital today. Go back with me to the narrative again, this time verse 24. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga, then went down to Italia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. After their long and successful journey, Paul and Barnabas, who had planted and nurtured those early churches, returned to the local church from which their journey had begun, that church that had commissioned them and supported them much in the same way that we have commissioned and supported the Hardy family and will continue to do so as they plant that local church. And as Paul and Barnabas return back to their home church, if you would, they call the people together to share with them what God had done. Verse 27, upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers a long time. 
Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I want us to see from this passage. The gospel advances where the leaders and the people of the church work together in unity and harmony. The unity of God's church based upon the common mission that we have is absolutely vital. The harmony that the the culture around us in our community would see among the believers is vital to the witness of Christ in this place. What God did in the early church was blessed in part, I believe, because of the heart and the calling of the Apostle Paul. It was his divine obsession. I want you to hear his heart from Acts chapter 20, verses 24 and then verse 28. Here's what Paul said as he opened his heart to the people. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And can I just say with all of the humility and transparency I know how to express, that's my heart too. I I am here and have been here for almost 32 years because my heart is to see this church not just grow in numbers. There's no no sanctity in, in numbers, but to grow in its mission, to grow in spiritual depth, to grow in love for the Lord, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit by the members of this body. It is my heart to see this church continue and grow in spiritual health. And I take seriously this charge in verse 28 that the Apostle Paul gave to lead with courage and boldness, loving the people, but not leading to please people, but leading to please the Lord and to fulfill the mission that he has for the church. Verse 28, here's what Paul said, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. Look around you. We are God's people. Different generations, different preferences, different backgrounds, different tastes, even different languages, but together we are the body of Christ. We are God's people. We're one body, young and old, diverse but united, and every member is important and a needed member of the body. Here's how Paul used the analogy of the human body as he described the body of Christ and the parallels to these bodies that we inhabit on earth. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. 
Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. Now, Paul was using the, the, the different parts of the cultural landscape of his time and his location. Ours are different, but you understand what he's saying. We are different. We come from different parts of the, of, of the culture, but we're one body. I pick up the text. But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. And so what impact does that have? Verse 25. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So what do we take away from this? What, what does it mean for us? How do we put into practice the truths that we've looked at today? Let me give you some words of encouragement for the body of Christ. Here's the first. Affirm and treasure your heritage in the body of Christ and in Magnolia's First Baptist Church. We are a part of a body of believers that Christ followers before you sacrificed and gave themselves unselfishly for the glory of God and the good of His church. Don't take that lightly. For us, that has been true for 171 years. You are a part of a rich history of God's church in this community. Here's another word. Embrace the biblical truth that the mission of God's church is greater than any of our personal preferences. Can we just be honest and say some of us when we came in here uh, and there were changes, it pushed our not my preference button? Can I challenge you? Let's rise above that. Let's rise above that. Let's understand, this is not about us. This is about the Lord and His glory and His church. And when you put it in that context, having to sit in a different place or things being a little bit different, does that really matter much at all? No. This is the Lord's church. And if these changes can help us engage the younger generation Listen, if it took me standing on my head to engage the younger generation, I'd try to do it. Whatever it takes, we need to do it. Why? Because people's souls are at stake. People's eternities matter. And if you already know Christ by faith, then it must be your passion and all of our passion to see others come to know Him too. Here's yet another word. In a world in which Christ followers are coming under increasing threat of persecution, and that's real, folks, that's real, give thanks to God for the opportunity to worship and serve Christ here. 
We have brothers and sisters that have to meet in secret in parts of the world. And we are blessed. Oh, listen, God has blessed us far more than we deserve. He has blessed us in so many ways, both individually and collectively. And so may we respond to him with passion and with resolve that we will be faithful to him to fulfill his mission for his church, whatever it takes. Because from my perspective, as I've looked back on the history of our church, our church's past inspires us to face the future with vision and with faith. In just a moment, we're going to extend to you a time of prayer. And I don't know what you came into today's worship time with on your heart or what's going on in your life or what's happening in the lives of people you deeply care about. But here's what I know. There's a lot going on in our lives. And there are many things that it would be entirely appropriate for you to come and pray. We'll have in just a moment prayer partners here at the front, our deacons and their wives and other church leaders. And they will pray with you. These are godly people who are prayer warriors. It would be a good thing if your heart is heavy to come pray with them. If, if you need God's healing, come and if I can find the oil, there it is. We'll anoint you and pray over you and ask God's healing mercy upon you. Uh, and if you're here today and, and the Lord's been tugging on your heart, I know this has been a, a, a message about the church, but maybe the Holy Spirit's been tugging on your heart and you know you need to, to take a step closer to the Lord. You need to take that next step in your faith journey, whatever that is. If, if you have that sense from God today, then just come to one of these prayer partners and simply say this, I need to take the next step. People have done that every week. I need to take the next step, and they'll help you figure out what that is in your unique faith journey. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for what I've called through the years the greatest church this side of heaven. Lord, what a blessed collection of Christ followers this body of Christ is imperfect but committed to Christ. Lord, I pray for these next few moments. There are some burdens that my brothers and sisters have come with today, and they need to pray with somebody. And I pray that they would take advantage of these godly deacons and their wives and pastors and their wives to pray with them and to see you work in ways that can only be explained by the movement of God's Spirit. I pray for those who need healing that they'd come so that we might pray for them to be healed. I pray especially for those, O oh Lord, who need to take the next step in their faith journey. They need to move closer to you. They may not even understand exactly what that means, but their heart is willing. Help them to come and to say to one of these godly leaders, I need to take the next step so that we might help them know how to do that. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
prayer partners, would you come please and take your place? Congregation, would you stand in a spirit and an attitude of prayer? And you come if the Lord is moving you in your heart.